0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of James Talks and um, we've got Alexander Shire is back today we're doing the second of our series um, on the uh, four stages of Quadratos we're doing three podcasts on the four stages and um, we, in the last episode we did uh, we covered the first two stages which were the book of Matthew and the book of Mark and uh, that was amazing I definitely recommend going back to listen to that Um, Today we're going to be covering John, and the next episode we'll be covering Luke, Luke Acts, and uh, those are the next two stages, um, John and Luke Acts. So um, just before we really get into it, I want to mention the book um, Heart and Mind, which is um, Alexander's exploration of these ideas in a lot more detail. Um, Those of you in the UK, you can get this in um, uh, e-book on Kindle. Um, from Amazon, and I definitely recommend it, I'm reading it, and it's amazing, and it will help you follow um, what we're doing, and um, unpack those ideas in a lot more detail, so I really want to recommend that to you, wherever you're listening from, get hold of that book, it's uh, it's really, really good, um, and yeah, so welcome Alexander. Hello James. Um, great to have you back again, um, really it's- Really, excited. It's, it's good to be connected, half a world away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's right, everyone. And Alexander is in Australia, and I'm in London. So uh, when we were the day we we're recording, it's evening for me, and it's early, early morning the next day for Alexander. So he's up really, really early, and I'm up late. So um,
1: it's, it's really, it's really weird for you to be in summer, and for us down here to be in winter. And um, I'm a U.S. citizen, and I'm just visiting Australia, so this is this is mind bending for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think Australia winter is slightly warmer than British winter, I would say. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, um, because we get like snow and freezing temperatures and stuff. I think I don't think they get quite that in Australia. Probably get a lot but of rain there's, there's not much snow here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't think so. <laughs> for,
1: for skiing, people have to pretty much get to New Zealand.
0: Yeah, yeah. I figured, yeah. I mean, that's another place. That's another lovely yeah. place, isn't it? Um, great. Well, okay, so, um, yeah. Um, the second stage of the Quadratos. The second stage of the journey. Oh, sorry, the third. Second episode. <laughs> third. Um, third stage. Um, John. The, the Book of John. So, um, yeah, take it away, I, Alexander. I
1: really, I really do recommend that perhaps uh, for listeners to go back to uh, the, the previous podcast, which is a full entering into the text of Matthew as the first part of the journey, and the text of Mark as the second part of the journey. Um, and now today we come to the third part, which is the part that we know as the Gospel of John. Mm. And the... In the first part, we come to the realization that we're on, um, we're at a new place in our life. We're on a new journey. We usually come to that because of some untoward event or unexpected pain that's happened in our lives. Although sometimes, wonderfully, we start a new journey because we've fallen in love. But more mm-hmm. usually, we we come to the first path because of some unexpected temple in our life that has suddenly gone away. And that opens us up to the second path, which is a time of great wilderness and wandering. Yeah. And then somewhere in the third path, and usually by great surprise, the third path opens. And it usually opens rather suddenly. Uh, And let's look for a moment at... The text of John and historically, what we think we know about when the text was revealed and what was going on in the community at that moment. Mm. Um, we think that the text of John is coming either out of the Christian community in Ephesus or Alexandria. Well, what? what's 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 true about both of these cities in the late first century? Is that they are teeming capital cities with great diversity in the way that almost every capital city has many people from many regions have being drawn there to do governmental business or to advocate in the courts, etc.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, capital cities also tend to be more affluent, and this is this is certainly true of both Ephesus and Alexandria. So whereas the text of Matthew is coming from Antioch, and the text of Mark, the text of Mark is coming from Rome. Both of those cities, um, at the moment that the gospel is revealed to them, are uh, in a time of of great trauma and somewhat impoverishment. Um, Ephesus and Alexandria are flowering, and they're flowering with finances, and they're flowering with diversity. Uh, and education, and also both communities have very, very strong women's communities as part of them, and it, you'll see the the fingerprints of this in the text of John.
0: Right, okay.
1: First, personally, I'm more compelled that Ephesus is the place of the Revelation rather than Alexandria, and that's largely because of the tradition that the evangelist John uh, went there and took Mary there, and that this Christian community in Ephesus is founded either directly by Paul or by a disciple of Paul in the mid-40s of the first century.
0: So if
1: if this text is coming in the mid-90s of the first century, which is it's general dating, this Christian community has had a 50-year history.
0: Right. And, and yeah, the that's... other
1: part of it that's so important for us is that this Christian community is the community that we have on record as having received the message about that all on the planet, every man and woman on the planet, is coming from the same source. And by the fact that we all come from the same source, we are brother and sister to each other. Yeah, and the third part of that is that we then are invited to sit at table side by side. Now, what's what's powerful about this is that in our, our Jewish mother, at this point in its history, um, had the teaching about all come from the same source, but at this moment in its history, Jewish Judaism is organized. Uh, as pretty much a separate but equal tradition in terms of Judaism says to to all the differing tribes, you organize yourself before Yahweh, we'll organize ourselves before Yahweh. We don't mix together.
0: Oh, right. okay.
1: And also Judaism at this point um, has men and women sitting separately in worship, in Shabbat worship, uh, it's often men on one side, women on the other, or even more commonly, men on the main floor and women in a balcony.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes or, sense.
1: Or women at the back. Hmm. Uh, Christianity now is going to be this radical new practical step taking the teaching of oneness further yeah. than, our, than our mother faith of 2,000 years ago and any other place on the planet. I mean, what's, what's remarkable is that... We don't find this teaching on the planet in any other tradition. I'm sorry to say that that includes Buddhism. That includes Hinduism. That includes the indigenous traditions. It includes Isis and Ashtar and the Egyptian traditions. It certainly includes the Roman traditions. This teaching is a new step in human consciousness. And Christianity is the first tradition that we have a record of there were if there were other traditions that were doing this we don't have a we don't have they may have died out and not left us a record but christianity oh. is the first tradition which opens its doors to everybody as an equal oh, and wow. that is a stunning stunning step
0: that is amazing it. i just yeah cuz i mean so often nowadays people talk like a lot of people talk like Christianity is behind and it's and it's you know it's', it's pa- and there's patriarchy and and it's other religions that are more progressive and further ahead and more about oneness and unity and inclusion and all this kind of thing but actually you know uh, and and to be honest the church is the Christian church is not very good at um, equality but actually like from what you're saying you know the way of Jesus you know the Christian faith is actually the the people that, begin, that began this kind of idea of inclusion and equality.
1: Um, we, we certainly took it further than anyone else 2,000 years ago, and we have, a, we have about a 700-year tradition of how to do this. Uh, communion and community as this um, equal status before God and with each mm. other is the first Christian art form. That's and so good. Um, the sadness that I have is is that we've regressed from the beauty of what we hold, mm. and that we have got the spiritual practices within Christianity to form a new, a really beautiful new form of communion today that that we've that the human family has prog- has progressed to, and the Christ is standing there offering us the spiritual practices to do it, and. Many of us are wanting it, but not sure quite how to access it. And mm. what I what I describe as as the most important spiritual practice of this century is developing diverse human community that knows how to bend towards the communion of harmony. And this is um, Christianity and every other tradition of the last few hundred years there is no spiritual tradition on the planet today that's any further ahead than any other one in trying to develop this new form of human relating Mm. Uh, Christianity is a tradition that's born in we want you to come to the table with your diverse radiance and we're asking you to put your diverse radiance in dialogue with my diverse radiance and Mm. that if we, if we all come to the table in our authenticity that we will find in our mutual desire to build a deeper harmony, we'll find tension, but that tension is not something to be resolved. That tension is actually our greatest gift, because out of that tension comes an even deeper radiance.
0: Oh, wow. That's mind-blowing. And,
1: and this is The teaching of John to the community of Ephesus, because this community in the 40s heard the beatific vision of harmony and oneness, and they got the vision. But 50 years later, they're squabbling the old hierarchies and authoritarian and the patriarchy and the who's in the in group and his in the out group, all that stuff has come back. And it feels even worse that it's come back in the face of having the beatific vision of oneness. Mm. And essentially what John is saying to Ephesus, what the Christ is saying through John to Ephesus, is, look, this is the stuff of humanity. Don't be concerned about the fact that this is happening in your midst. Understand that this is always going to be the way to deeper harmony. The question is not whether you have this stuff or don't have this stuff, but it's how you deal with it, how you face it, how you bring it to each other, and how you accept the Christ and see the Christ in the midst of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's...
1: <laughs> so... Wow.
0: <laughs> ah. <laughs> the,
1: the, the pain in us that happens in the face of greater oneness is exactly the path to deeper harmony. Yeah. So so the the community of Ephesus is almost breaking apart in the jealousies, the envy, the power plays, etc. And now this incredible text of John comes as their spiritual practice to reform the community's communion. So from and and that experience of two becoming one, or three becoming one, or four becoming one, or a hundred becoming one. That's what happens in the third path. The third path is the, in the second path, where we're we're tired, we're weary, we're anxious, we haven't. We have a deep sense of separateness from each other. We don't know how to move forward. Um, we wonder if there ever is going to be a forward. Is there going to be a future that just feels like death, 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 emotional death, psychological death, physical death, trauma, etc. And then somewhere in that moment, if we stay true to it, something unexpected in us opens up and aha yeah in that in that aha moment we can look back and understand the journey that we've been that we've been on we can understand its meaning um, yeah. we can understand the gift that the journey is bringing us yeah and often often this moment doesn't take away our pain but it gives our pain a reason
0: yeah that's right <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand that completely. It's like it's when you. I mean, actually, I mean, I could use an example in my own life. I mean, yeah, you know, um, uh, sixteen years ago, my mother died, and um, now, yeah, I mean, at the time, it was like one of the most painful things that I've ever been through. It was, you know, there was there was despair, there was anger, there was like, um, what am I going to do now? You know, all the things that you go through when, you know, when you go through grief. And, but now looking back, I look. I look back at look back, you know, sixteen years on, and the way that, without sounding wishing to sound too spiritual, here, um, the way God has used that, um, the things that, uh, the way that He redeemed that, um, of course, you know, I would go and change it if I could, but I wouldn't want to change what it has brought me in a sense, you know, um, right. and all the lessons I've learned and all the experiences I've had, which have come about as a result of, indirectly or directly, uh, of my mum passing away, you know, um, and, that's what, and that's what happens when you look back, is that you actually start to see a story uh, going on, a journey that you've been on, um, and I guess that's what's happening when in John, you know,
1: Yes, and and they're beginning. This community of Ephesus is beginning to understand that getting the gift of seeing the reason for the journey uh, does not remove the pain at some level, and it doesn't take away the further work that needs to happen.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: but the first thing that John has got to do in the text, uh, this beautiful what we call the prologue. Uh, and this is, this is a stunning moment, and it's a corrective to most Scripture scholars today who have fallen into a lesser story of the Scriptures as only being historical. Um, John's text of the prologue is, look, the story of the Christ is outside of time. The story of the Christ is from before the first moment of time, and will continue on until the last moment of time, because the story of the Christ is eternal. And to say it's eternal means that it's verified in every moment of time, not verified only in the moment of Jesus, but it's uh, it's verified in the moment of Jesus the Christ, who has always lived and always been.
0: Yeah.
1: And so here's here, a, a challenge um, that I, I want to give to you know those, those people who, might know the Anglican or the Roman Catholic tradition for the Feast of Christmas will know that the final gospel of Christmas morning is John's prologue Mm -hmm. because the prologue says don't focus on the nativity of Jesus alone as a historical moment understand that the historical moment verifies that this happens in every moment so that Um, The Christmas pageant is only a way to understand the eternal nativity, which is always happening. And what John is trying to do is, John is trying to say to Gentile and Jew in Ephesus, to everybody, look, Christianity has no second-class citizen. The gift of the Christ has been with everyone on the planet from before the first moment of time. Yeah. the Christ has been with the American Indian the Christ has been with the indigenous peoples of South America the Christ has been with the Buddhists in in, in Asia. the Christ has been with um, the Egyptians the Christ has been with the Celts etc 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 No one who knows love, By whatever name you know love, you know the Christ. Yeah.
0: So so that what
1: John John is saying to everyone is you don't have to forsake your tradition and what you know to come to Jesus the Christ. Go through it. Go through your tradition to something deeper. We, We have not come to make what you've already known about spirit a lie. We've come... To make what you know about spirit a doorway to a deeper reality of oneness.
0: Oh wow, that that's just mind blowing. I mean, like it's kind of yeah. It's like saying don't don't lose your own spiritual journey. Don't abandon it. But actually, turn it inwards and come and, and let's 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 actually bring it all together and take it right. to a deeper level. And that's exactly. the and,
1: and, and it's that. We want you to come to the table in your authenticity. And Mm -hmm. and this is what's so sad today is I hear from ministers and clergy and people sitting in pews and chairs how they feel like they have to leave some part of their authenticity outside the door. And that's absolutely against the original Christian art form is come to our table as you are. Speak of your radiance speak of your tr- the truth of your life, and by your bringing the truth of your life, that makes us stronger. That makes us more true. That builds our harmony. We are not a tradition of uniformity. We are a tradition of a radiant diversity. We're a tradition of a diamond, which has a thousand facets, and as the radiance of those facets are reflected off... Um, The radiance of our God
0: becomes more clear. Wow! (laughs) Just opens it. Just opens up spirituality. Opens up the Christ. You know, um, just to make it makes him so much bigger. Makes it makes it so much deeper. It makes it so much wider and inclusive. You know, it's like you can find Jesus in in any like any other any. Spiritual path. Ultimately, what we can do is bring them together and transcend and include them all in, in the in the way of, in the way of Christ. You know, um, it's interesting. So
1: I want to I want to stay with this a bit a bit more. And it, John is always. I, I also want to bring it home to our lives today. But this is so important to get this wider lens on our tradition to understand in a deeper way the first words of the prologue. Mm. Because many of us have heard this phrase so often and many of us have been hurt by it. And many of us have turned away from these words thinking that they are so limited, which in fact, these words are cosmic. So we we hear, in the beginning was the word. Mm. But if you track etymologically and sort of anthropologically, this term, the word, the Logos, the Logos is, is a term in Judaism that's already been in use for 300 years before John uses that term here in this text of Ephesus. Right. And what does Logos mean for the Hebraic Jew? It's the word for everythingness. Logos is everythingness or variness. And actually, there's an aspect of the word logos that might best be translated today as breath. And when you take this term back into Genesis, when we hear in the seven-day account of creation, God spoke we might also say, and a a better translation for us today might be, and God breathes. And this is also what's so important is, is that both in Genesis and in the prologue, these are not past tense words. These are present tense words, and they're active words. Um, God breathes today. God Mm -hmm. breathes, and everything comes into being. In every beginning is God's breathing is a better translation of the first line of the prologue in every breathing in every beginning is God's breathing wow and what and what God breathes comes to life and that life is the radiance of all people now what's really interesting in the prologue is the prologue doesn't get to the to the particular incarnation of God's breath, the, the, the Christ, until, uh, I mean, excuse me, Jesus the Christ, until the third stanza. So in the beginning of, at the, as this prologue opens, John is rewriting or completing the Jewish sense of Genesis by reminding us that God breathed at the beginning, and what did God breathe out, and what does God breathe out in every beginning? In our sense, God breathes out the Christ. Yeah. So, the cosmos is a visible experience of the Christ.
0: Oh, wow. So, yeah, in that sense, the whole of creation is an expression of the Christ. Yes. So, you know... Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. The cosmos... And Jesus are mutual expressions of our God.
0: Yeah, because now, it's obviously there's Jesus and the Christ. You know, and we always call it, we all call Jesus Jesus Christ, don't we? Many of us. And but there's Jesus and the Christ, and I think. Yes. And what you're talking about is almost like they're you know obviously they're they're one, but yet they're also separate. Is that so, right?
1: Jesus is the Christ fully the Christ, in human visible form. Hmm. And that human visible form lives now, we know, both internally and externally. And because that form lives internally, we can touch the Christ in a personal way just as much, in fact, even more than those first ones who walked with Jesus. And, and this is so important, and, and, and I'm I mean, excited that today we're finally, I mean, the, the work of N.T. Wright and others are, are, are helping us reclaim the beauty of Paul because yeah. we're here today because of Paul. We're not here today because of Peter um, and, and James and, and, and the original ones. They, the original ones had a, had a gift, but they had an even larger limitation. And the limitation is, they saw with the lesser eyesight of an outer eyesight. They saw something, and they experienced something, but they didn't have the internal meaning for it. They they wrestled to know how to describe it. And when they went out to teach about it, they wrestled because they were relating to us outer events. Well... Mm. Everybody is going to say to them, well, you saw something. What does that have to do with me? Along comes Paul. Paul never saw the outer Jesus. And Paul tells us he didn't go up to Jerusalem to get all the original stories that we think are so necessary. Paul had an internal experience of the eternal Jesus the Christ, that reformulated his life and he went out and began to teach about that internal, eternal experience that everyone can have. Now, Mm, we can understand why Paul was the evangelist of the first century in the way that all the original eyewitnesses could not be. Yeah, Because, Because no one could say to Paul, what does that have to do with me?
0: Because it's impacted him.
1: Because it's impacted him without his physically standing there with Jesus. Yeah,
0: exactly. He's kind of like, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Because because he wasn't walking around with Jesus, he has that. He wasn't part of the original set of disciples who were evangelizing. He's but, got that. He's got. A, he's got. He's got that perspective of saying, "Well, I. This is. This was my experience. I learned this from other people. This is." This is how it's changed my life. You know, I've got the, he's got the reflective kind of side of it, hasn't he? The, right. Rather than just kind of the, oh, this is somebody I met and spent three years with, and this is what happened. You know, um, it's a whole different perspective. Right.
1: And, I mean, and, and it's the more powerful perspective, and now I'm going to put on my psychologist's hat mm. um, and my studies in organizational development. And from organizational development, we know that when there is a, a founder and a, perhaps a charismatic founder, and we can say that Jesus the Christ is the most charismatic founder ever in all of human history, um, the people that gather around such, that, such a reality are, are bound to the physical characteristics uh, of, the, of the founder. They Mm. see her or they see him. They see how she or he does things. They see the metaphors that she or he uses. Um, They get all of that. Mm. But guess what? They're never good educators. They are simply the bridge generation to the second or the third generation, which it's going to be the second or the third generation that secures the teaching of the founder moving forward. Because they, the second and the third generation are not going to know the founder directly. But they're going to have to find their way to an internal experience of the founder's teaching. And it's going to be that generation that has the ability to go out to circumstances and people that the founder never spoke to and never taught and translate the message in a way that brings them alive. Yeah. If, if if the historical generation, and I want all the historical scholars out there, all of us who've been looking for the historical Jesus to understand, that's the lesser truth. The greater truth is the eternal Christ that we find in the historical Jesus. Because if we only go back to the historical Jesus, we're going to be a dead tradition in a very short amount of time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I get um, that totally, because we... <laughs>
1: We're going to be doing Peter rather than doing Peter and Paul. And and this is the beauty of the fact that the Christian tradition has always joined Peter and Paul. We need both. Without Peter standing for the historical reality, we become a tradition of fable. Yes. But without, but without Paul, we become a tradition of yesterday.
0: Yeah. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. that makes a lot of sense because yeah we need we need the testimony we need the testimony we need the experience of the story of peter um to prove that it wasn't just a myth and and we need but we also need paul's reflection and paul's um you know di- almost distance from it in a sense to help it transform us right i mean. Paul's
1: distance from the history allows him to hear deeper and new things. Mm. It's Paul who says we can let go of circumcision. It's Paul who says we can let go of Jerusalem. It's Paul who says we can let go of the temple. It's Paul who says we can let go of the priesthood. It's Paul, it's all of these things that Paul was understanding about how we're moving forward in a new reality that the original ones were locked into in some senses they were more locked into what happened before the resurrection than what happened
0: afterwards yeah yeah that's right yeah i mean there's so much and that's just in one word we've seen that you know in the beginning was the word. That's that's all. This has come from one light, you know. Um, seeing the Christ in everything, you know, it just it's, it's, it brings a whole new perspective to that to that whole idea of being fully present in every moment. Because if we're truly fully present in every moment, we can see the Christ in everything. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So I mean, it's it's very instructive that. Paul gave us our name which was the, we are people of the Christ we are a people of an eternal tradition he did not give us the name of Yehusians. we're not jezians we're christians
0: yeah he,
1: he chose to focus us on how jesus opens us to the christ
0: yeah wow <laughs> it's really amazing when you think about it. i just and, you know, um, <laughs> I don't
1: really know how to respond. And I love how, I mean, even from my tradition as a Roman Catholic, and our now retired uh, Pope Benedict, in his book, said, from the first line of Genesis to the last word of Revelation, this is the story of the Christ. So the, the Christ doesn't begin when Jesus is born.
0: No, no, that's right. Yeah, because if literally the Christ is the whole of creation, then it's it's been an ongoing process of almost unfolding, you know, all through time. Because creation, you know, the creation, the universe is always expanding as well. Yes. So the Christ is always expanding. So, well, and and. The Christ
1: is an invisible reality that God makes visible in Jesus and makes visible in the cosmos. Yeah. But I love that that sense of, yes, as the cosmos expands, our understanding of the Christ expands.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you see, when I think about all of this kind of thing, that God just becomes much bigger, that you actually see that everything is connected. Yeah. Ev- I mean, like Rob Bell likes to say, everything is spiritual, you know. Um, Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we both love Rob. Um, yeah, everything is spiritual. It's just, but, when, but I love, I mean, I get really excited when I look at, when I find out about science of the universe and, and the little things, the little details, and you think, and it, and it kind of takes you around in this circle and you kind of end up going back to the Bible and it's like, oh, this is all tied together. And somehow Jesus was, he knew this, you know. Even if he hadn't had that education or something. But something, there was this deeper thing going on. This like, this is how the universe works. This is how the universe is, you know. And then maybe the, the unfolding story of the Christ in the universe is like the unfolding story of the Christ in us. That internal journey that we're talking about.
1: Um, certainly that would be my belief. And certainly I believe that there's a, um, a, a widening evolution, if I can use that word, in our understanding the Christ. Yeah. So that generation by generation, Paul would say, you underst- you're understanding the Christ far wider than I could have. Yeah. And that, that's necessary. There, there's nothing, that, that's, that's the radiance of Christianity to say that today, through science, we have an ability to understand the Christ wider than any generation before us. Yeah. That science is, science is not limiting our understanding of the Christ, but science is helping us expand our understanding of the yes.
0: Christ. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, even 20, 30 years ago, when I was growing up in Sunday school, there was just whole idea that science was somehow opposed to Christianity, that it was like that you either believed in science or you believed in Christianity, you know. Even, even this is, like, I was in Sunday school in the 1980s, and even then it was still, this idea was kind of still around, you know, and uh, certainly in, certainly in terms of subtext it was around, and, you know, now that feels like it should, that's so archaic, you know, that, the idea that you know that science is yeah you know, that is is like either science or faith you know and you know it's just uh, and now like since I've been discovering more about science it's just blown my view of God just made him so much bigger you know and now uh, you, with, absolutely you,
1: absolutely I, mean, I I love and I mean um I'm gonna lean back on 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 some of the early work of Joseph Campbell Joseph Campbell who said that religion's role is to penetrate science for its mysticism and that religion must be penetrating the science of today for its mysticism. Uh, It's not science's role to be doing the mystical job. That's our role. Mm. Uh, Although today many of our scientists are our best mystics.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, And... um... That's right. And actually, I saw, I saw a, a video recently with um, a whole bunch of scientists saying that the odd, they're finding now that the odds of intelligent life existing anywhere in the universe, like, like us, is now becoming so small that they're actually seriously contemplating the idea of an intelligent consciousness or, or designer or, you know, an external consciousness existing. Uh, you know, uh. scientists are, you know... Uh, uh. And when I when I read when I saw that I was like you know sci- eventually science is going to science is going to come and tell us there is an external consciousness out there you yes know? <laughs> and it's like basically science is going to tell us there is a god you know, <laughs> you know and it's going to be oh I'm just like I I hope I'm alive when that happens because that would just be amazing you
1: know in in the in the prior podcast um, I, I talked about with in Matthew and Mark in the first and the second movements. We need to return to beginner's mind. We need to hold our sacred truths of yesterday a little bit to the side, knowing that, that the way that we've understood them is too limited. And so we have to go back and, be, and begin again to understand them. But in the beginning again to understand them, we have to intentionally forget them for the moment. Forgetting them is not denying them, not turning our back on them, and not saying that they're a lie, but understanding that they are in some ways limited. And Mm. that's exactly, uh, science today is teaching us about a deeper mysticism, but we have to forget this thing that we grew up hearing, that science and religion are opposed to each other, that you're either a scientist or you're a faith-filled person. What a bunch of hooey.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't agree more with you that. <laughs> um it's uh, just absurd, it, you know. So let let's
1: come back a, a bit to the third path. Yeah. Um and just look at a few of the stories that John gives us at the opening of the text as it informs this third path moment. And the, the third path moment is the aha it's the the moment that sort of the scales fall from our eyes or from our heart and and we get a wider vision now sometimes that's very very simple things in our lives and sometimes it's dramatic new almost a, a view of the world which is which is radically wider yeah but but this moment comes with gift and it comes with caution now the gift is that we're expanded.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the caution is our old selves will regressively fight back. And if we're not prepared for the, for the internal pushback and the external pushback, yeah. we're going to, it's like playing Monopoly. We're going to go back to go and have to start over again. Yeah, Um, and, And let's, how do we understand this in the text of John? Well, it's very interesting that right at the beginning of the text, third chapter, we find a very impassioned Jesus cleansing the temple. Now, why would John have brought this account of Jesus forward in his text and placed it right here? And it's because this is exactly the practice that each one of us have to do, and it's the practice that most of us in the Christian tradition right now are failing. Mm. In the face of the beatific vision, we have to clear out the old furniture. We have to clear out the old thought. We have to clear out the old feelings. We have to stop turning the in any way Uh, the beatific vision towards economy and money and we need to let the vision do its work in us which is to deconstruct the old If unless the vision deconstructs the old we're going to gild today's temple and we're going to call it new and it's just going to be yesterday's temple refurbished
0: yeah Oh, yeah, that's a great metaphor, yeah, we can't just, we can't just um, keep the same temple, we have to, it's got to be a complete clear out, and.
1: We we have begin. to intentionally dismantle, yeah. and if we don't dismantle, spirit will not treat us gently.
0: Wow, this is also the internal we're talking about, isn't it? Um yes. Yeah. Got to internally dismantle ourselves so that we can be put back together in the way that we, in a healthier way, in a way that's well, more connected to the Christ.
1: Right, and we, we, we literally need to stand before the Christ, stand before God, stand before Jesus the Christ, whatever your metaphor is, with utter humility and say at this point, help me understand this new vision. And I'm going to take the time to really listen. And I'm going to take the time to try and let go of my old categories.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because because I understand that unless I let go of my old categories, I'm not going to really, really get the vision, the gift that you've given me
0: yeah that's 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 very challenging because it's you know, very <laughs> challenging because you know all of us have well, we all have routines and rituals and uh, habits and ways of living that yeah you know, that we're used to that we've lived our whole lives by you know we, we've lived our lives by certain stories like you know for me like, like you know I've for 20 years I've I think you know I'm only realizing this now but I mean in recent months I mean um but i live i've lived my life according to a story that was defined when i was a teenager and it's i've let, I've let it dictate my whole life and only now am i seeing that and having and starting to deconstruct that and you know um and unless i go in there and deconstruct it and do that work and re and put something else better in its place then i'm just going to go back to the same old routines and that that's the same that's what this process that's the process you're talking about here, isn't it?
1: It is. I'm going to go one further story in, John. Because I mean, I, one of the new books that I'm working on, and I'm working on about three simultaneously. <laughs> uh, Sounds but, familiar. But, but something that I'm very passionate about is the text of John as, the, as teaching us the practices of, deep, of deepening a true communion, a communion that's built on diversity rather than uniformity. Mm. And um, the next story is Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, in my mind, is the, is the holy tragic figure. And we, all, we need to go in search of and in honoring of our inner Nicodemus figure. Because you always want to know where the Nicodemus voice is inside yourself. And you want to make sure that Nicodemus has an honored place at the table in the discussion. But you also must know that Nicodemus cannot run the discussion, cannot chair the meeting. Nicodemus is going to be that caution voice that slows us down so that we know that we're, we're feeling and thinking and praying through everything that we need to think, feel, and pray through, rather than rushing to discernment. But here's Nicodemus's tragic flaw. Nicodemus is, is the great seminary professor I had um, who I, I deified his thought from 30 years ago. Uh, Nicodemus is the unreflective thought or category or judgment I receive from my parents that I haven't reworked through. Nicodemus is uh, my, my bud, my mate, who's got a strongly held view and I've sort of uh, collapsed into it without reflecting on it myself. Hmm. Uh, In in this meeting with Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, which means the nighttime in Judaism is the time for inner reflection and beginning again. So Nicodemus has come to Jesus in a reflective beginning again moment, right? Uh, but he's but he's mm. disturbed because he says, "Jesus, I, I can see the good works that you're doing. That that has the quality of holiness. But Jesus, I know something as a given fact of natural law. I want to say, Nicodemus is the natural law advocate, and." And, and there is no such thing as natural law except the emerging, progressing, evolving, expanding Christ. But Nicodemus stands against that because Nicodemus says, I know a static natural law that says only if you have Jewish blood in you can you have the privilege of knowing our Yahweh. See, this whole question about how can you be born again? Is a tribal question in Nicodemus's mind. Nicodemus is asking the question, "How can you take somebody who's not Jewish, put them back in a Jewish mother's womb, and give them Jewish blood, so that they can have the privilege of knowing Yahweh?" Yes. Yeah. How can you do that, Jesus? And I know natural law. My two thousand year old tradition has preached this. And where, by what authority, do you overturn that?
0: Yeah, 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 it's it's actually kind of a very limited question, isn't it, it's a, it's a, and we, know, we kind of know this already, because the, the way that Jesus answers it, and uh, we, and we, most, most people will probably, who are listening will probably know this passage, you know, that actually that Jesus kind of opens out the answer and makes it bigger, makes it bigger than, you know, than, than Nicodemus would have expected, but. From what you're saying, it's an even more limited question because it's limited by, his, by the Jewish religion, in a sense, by, the Jewish, by Jewish culture, by, you know, that, that, by that perspective. Well, it is,
1: and, and uh, what, I, what I'm deeply troubled by is that anyone, any reflective heart and mind Christian today to fall back on the regressive, limited tribalism of something called natural law natural law is the mysticism of what science is teaching us and yeah. so there is no such thing as natural law as a static reality natural law is progressive evolutionary deepening consciousness of the Christ and the Christ is teaching us today something that the Christ what is that is different and, and larger than 10 years ago or 50 years ago or hundred years ago so let's go find out what the Christ is teaching today, rather than hold on to my great seminary professor. i talking very personally from 35 years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean that's so true because I mean, what you know what today what you know today gets called um, you know, con- the evangelical church that the theology that kind of gets gets used in those contexts a lot of the time. That's you know the, the the kind of less the less progressive stuff, yes. should we say? When when that theology first came came about, it was through the mystics and it was called heresy, and that was a, I don't know I, can't, I don't actually know when that was, but um, it was a while back, and and yet what's happened is that we've got it's like it's like and this is this is what happens a lot is that you get this idea and it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is a great new perspective. And then you just stick with it and you just stay there and you, you hold on to certainty and you don't keep going. You, th- you settle somewhere and think, I'll hold on to this. I've got this. I'll hold on to this. This is yes. good and I won't move forward. Yes. And that's a fatal mistake. You know, it's a, it's, That's the way to stop growing. Um, you know, the only path to growth is to keep exploring and to keep, um reexamining things to keep going deeper and mystery and the unknown and a bigger deeper you know perspective on the Christ
1: yes i mean and we can bring that into our, into all of our relationships today we can bring it in to our partners lives we can bring it into our into our marriages um one of the the most difficult times in a marriage is when one of the people in the marriage psychologically moves forward or deeper. Uh, what we can expect in the partner, the husband or the wife, if they're not deeply on their own journey, they'll they'll resist their partners moving ahead. And they'll do everything unconsciously, but they'll do everything possible to pull them back from it. You, you cannot expect at this third path moment, as you come to a wider reality and a more vital life, you cannot expect that the people that are closest to you are going to affirm that unless they're rather uh, wonderful individuals deeply on their own journey.
0: Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's that's right. This is like a it would be interesting to examine these ideas in the context of a marriage as well. I mean, I'm not married, I'm not in a relationship, but it would be interesting to see how do we you know, explore these ideas as a couple, as a married couple. You know, because everyone's on their own individual journey, in a sense, but when you get married, you know, your two journeys are kind of intertwined. Um, although you still have your own independent journeys, they're, they're interconnected. And suddenly, in you know, and you and you have to be, you're part of that of that other person's journey, just as they're part of your journey. Um, so that would be fascinating. I mean, that's a book idea for you. <laughs>
1: um, uh, I'll Put that one on the list.
0: Yeah, that I would. Yeah, that would be. I think a lot of people would read that actually. Um, if I got married, I would read a book like that for sure. Um, with my whoever my wife was. Um, yeah, that's fascinating, um, and that's interesting because you know when we when we grow, um, one of the things that I've heard, I think it's Donald Miller I heard say is that you know when you when you grow, when you choose to to move on and grow up and 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 change your life and take control of your life, sometimes people that you've been you've known for a long time don't like it because they've known you yeah. as you were and they like how you were and they don't want that to change and they like they dislike they like the relationship as it was, and everything's clear, and everything's like, and, you know, in a sense they've got, they can control it, you know, they um, but when you kind of move forward, and do something different, and become a, and grow, you don't become a different person, you grow, you evolve into the person that you, you're capable of being, and that, that Jesus wants you to be, but when you do that, that creates disruption, and people get uncomfortable, because people see you're different, um, Precisely, um,
1: because it, it calls it calls into question what they are doing or not doing with their own life.
0: Yeah, that's why it makes them uncomfortable. It's not you. It's that it's, it's actually shining a light on them and what's going on inside of them and whether they're growing or not. And that challenges them and makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. interesting.
1: And, and, you know, the hallmark of our... Tradition in its first 700 years is that we were the tradition of growth. Um, we were the tradition that said to everyone, we have come here to grow. We have come here to make holy impermanence.
0: Uh, mm. And I,
1: I, love the, I love the sense that Christianity did not seek to build huge edifices Um, Christianity sought to have a table, which was very movable, Mm. because we move, we grow, we develop, we emerge, we go wider and deeper, and that was the radiance of our tradition. And somewhere along the line, we fell into the smaller truth of permanence, and by God, we're going to put this altar in these pews, and we're going to to lock them down into the floor, and they shall never change. Mm. The the yeah. the great ones are weeping over our they shall never change, because today we're in a world that demands that we constantly grow and change, and yes. our tradition right now is not well suited to meet this moment.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, I completely agree with you. Um, we've got to, yeah. In a set, faith has got to be evolutionary, hasn't it? Faith has to evolve. Um, well,
1: because which, we have to evolve.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But it's. I just. I, I find it funny. I just find it funny that, you know, evolution is often a word that's used in relation to science and, um, you know, not used with in the context of faith, but. Actually, it's very like. I mean, we talked about this all night. The links between science and spirituality, and how they're basically two sides of the same coin in many ways. And you know, it's totally appropriate, you know, that we use the word evolution to describe our faith and to describe our spiritual journey.
1: Um. So, just two two thoughts as we bring the this very brief discussion of John and the third (laughs) path to a close and and prepare to move ahead um, with the fourth path on our next podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Just to remember again, that John's passion is the passion of the third path. John's passion is the passion of the moment in us when we receive the larger vision and agree to walk with it in love. So, you know, why is John's passion so different than the other three? Well, I mean, first of all, um, none of these passions are about history, folks. They're not about history, um, even though we've got this Holy Week pageant which makes us think this is about history. Uh, It's about an internal, eternal moment. And each one of the gospel passions is about a moment in us. It takes the events from Jerusalem and gives them to us as the internal, eternal moment, not as the historical moment, and that's their glory. So, so John's passion is going to be the passion of love. And, and as we move through that, we're going to come down to the final story in John, which really is uh, about how we move from the third path into the fourth path. And this is this is the, the be-all and the end-all of, of the critical movement from the height and the ecstasy of the third path into the work of the fourth path. And Mm -hmm. and it's Jesus and Peter um, at the Lake of Tiberias. Yeah. And Jesus is going to say to Peter, do you love me? And Peter's going to say, yes, I love you. And Jesus is going to ask him three times. And Peter is getting more and more agitated. Well, what's going on here is that Peter's got the drug? Peter's got the high. Peter's gone on a retreat. Peter's been listening to Alexander Shire or whatever. And, (laughs) and 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 he's vibrating with all this wonderful sensory stuff and believing that that's truth. And Jesus says, Peter, this is not true until you go feed my sheep and take care of the lambs. And this is code language in the first century. And at this moment we've got to forget all the beautiful stained glass that we've seen. Because the shepherd in the first century is the thug, the brigand, the robber, the murderer, the pedophile, whatever. The shepherd of the first century has been sent out to the fields because they have broken some deep taboo of the village and of their Jewish tradition. And they've been removed from polite society. And having them be out in the fields with the sheep means that they smell like sheep, which is better than having a bell around their neck. Because Mm. when you smell like sheep, people are going to smell that long before you appear. And they're going to know who you are and what you've done and why they should run away from you. Hmm. So at the end of this text about the beatific vision, Jesus is saying to each of us, it's nice that you got the vision, enjoy it, enjoy all the sensory experience of it, but after a short while, let's get to work, and the work is going to be, can you go do the work of the lowest and the least in yourself? And amongst us and see the vision there. Yeah. Otherwise otherwise I don't really care what word of name of God is on your lip. Until you can take that the the ecstasy of that name and put it on the ground in your life. It was just a nice sensory experience.
0: Yeah. That's right. That's, I mean that metaphor just resounds really in so much um, because we talk about all these amazing spiritual experiences that people have at these big festivals you know or big churches you know where it's like oh I, you know I, this person got healed or that you know I felt so filled with the spirit and it was just this amazing spiritual experience you know and then they go out and forget like, forget it happened almost. They don't live like anything's happened. There's no real transformation that's going on and no impact on the community, no impact on the world, you know. And,
1: and it's, it's why in the beauty of the early church, John was not the fourth gospel, but the third. The fourth is Luke-Acts.
0: The fourth is what you do with the vision, not getting it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense now. That really does <laughs> that makes so much sense now. Um, yeah, because... So, you know, as, as we
1: close off here, I just, I want to invite people to uh, perhaps go to my website, which is www.quadratus.com. That's Q-U-A-D, quad for four, raw toast. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and there they'll find links to buy the book off of Amazon, but you'll also find there the companion guides to the book. And what I keep saying is, as, as, as wonderful as it is, is perhaps to learn about this journey, uh, just like Peter and Jesus at the end of the third text, the truth of it is, will you walk the journey? And the companion guides are about a way of bringing this journey into your life and understanding it and truly making this journey with the Risen One the, the story of what you're living today. And so I want to welcome people not to just learn about the journey but to really walk it.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: I definitely um, recommend that. <laughs> I looking forward to being with you again and, and we'll explore Luke and Acts.
0: Yeah, I feel like we've already got started, you know, I and mean, we could have... I suspect we could have talked for hours <laughs> about 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 this about this uh, this part of the journey. It's just um, there's so much there. We only really, we only really covered like three little bits of of John, you know, and yeah, that took us an hour. <laughs> it's, uh, it's
1: true. It's like John. There is so John is just so dense and and yet beautiful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, John's always been my favorite gospel, actually. Um, as well, and just to yeah to, to, to have it unpacked in this way, just yeah, <laughs> just, just incredible. So thank you, Alexander. Um, you are most welcome,
1: and uh, uh, I look forward to being with you again.
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, so yeah, join us in the next episode because um, you know <laughs> we're this is um, this is just incredible. Um, we're going to go on to the next stage, and. Um, It's going to be really exciting. So um, take care, everyone, and we will talk soon.